Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Melanie, and Melanie is going to share her two birth stories with us. So, Melanie, do you just want to start us off with an introduction? Yeah. So, I'm Melanie. Um, I'm from upstate New York, and I have two kids. I have a nine-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. So, back, I can just start off with, I guess, I'll get right into the birth stories. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of long, I guess. So, with my son... We got pregnant, like we decided when to, we wanted a baby and we got pregnant like right away. And my pregnancy, I think it was like perfect. Like I felt great. There was absolutely no complications. I had maybe two weeks of feeling a little bit nauseous, but I never got sick. I like slept like 10 hours a day and Like I just, I ate really, really well. And I walked for like an hour a day. I had like the perfect pregnancy. And then I was at my 39 week checkup. Actually, if I can go back a little bit, I did ask my one doctor. um, I said, I asked about like a birth plan and she said, don't have a birth plan because anything could happen. And I was like, it was kind of like a little red flag for me, but It was my first pregnancy, so I really didn't know what to expect. So at my 39-week appointment, they're like, oh, you're going to come in on your due date. And if he doesn't come by your due date, then we're going to schedule for an induction. And I'm like, okay, because I I didn't know better. (laughs) I was like, you know, they're the medical professionals, and it's my first time. So I came back on my due date, and I had a non-stress test, and everything was perfect. And I think that was like on a Tuesday. So then they, they told me to schedule an induction and I was like, all right. And so I scheduled an induction for the following Monday. So at that point, actually they had me come in on Sunday to start the induction. They used like laminaria sticks. It's like a way, it's something that they stick into your cervix and then it swells and then it makes you dilate because I was only like, the doctor said I was only like a fingertip dilated at that point. So on Sunday I went in and they inserted the laminaria sticks and it was so painful. I like almost passed out, but, um, they did another non-stress test that Sunday. Everything was perfect. So then I got up really early Monday morning and went to the hospital. And after I checked in, they broke my water and put me on a low dose of Pitocin And nothing really happened. So they kept increasing the Pitocin and increasing the Pitocin. And I had the internal fetal monitor attached to his head. So I couldn't move around or anything. And I remember at that point, actually, if I go back a little bit, I wasn't supposed to eat or drink after midnight the night before. So I was like super, super thirsty. And they only wanted me to have like ice chips. So I actually would kind of sneak into the bathroom and drink bathroom out of the sink faucet or drink water out of the sink faucet because I was so thirsty and I was like, I need to drink water. So after about 18 hours, I had contractions like one after another. 
and it was really, really intense. And they decided to give me an epidural. The doctor or the nurse, she's like, you need to sleep. And so I don't think I did sleep, but after shortly after that, they are like, you know, time for a C-section, basically. Um, I only got to four centimeters dilated and the nurse told me, she's like, if they didn't break your water, I would just send you home. So it made me feel like maybe she had seen this before. So I had the C-section and I was fine. Like I recovered really well, but uh, my son ended up in the NICU for respiratory observation. They said his breathing wasn't quite normal, I guess. And they wanted to observe him. And as a precaution, they put him on antibiotics through an IV. And I just remember like, I don't know, thinking back on it, I get like kind of depressed because I'm like, here's this little baby who was just born and he's all alone when he needs to be with me. Like he should have been with me. And he's hooked up to these IVs and machines and he should have been with me. And I remember I went to go, uh, my brother uh, came to the hospital to see me and we went down to the NICU and um, I showed him my son and then my brother kind of like left and I'm holding my son and where he has all these IVs and things hooked up to him. I still had IVs and stuff on me and I was trying to put him back into his little bed. I can't think of the name. <laughs> And I felt like I was going to drop him. And I remember at that point, I almost broke down because I'm thinking like, this should not have happened. We went home like a week at the end of the week. So we came home on that Friday and things were going pretty well. And then he developed thrush. So my son developed thrush like three times in three months. And I think it was because of that antibiotic that he put, that they put him on because that, you know, destroys, you know, the beneficial bacteria. And because he was breastfeeding, I ended up getting thrush in that area. And it made breastfeeding incredibly painful to the point where like my toes were curling and I was about to quit because I was like, this hurts just so much, but we pushed through it and I ended up nursing him for 21 months. But, um, after that experience, I was like, I am not doing that again. I'm having a baby at home. And a few years after my son was born, a friend of mine had a baby at home and the birth didn't go quite as planned. She was, the, it was her first birth and she ended up being breached, but she was still born at home. And I was like, that's the midwife I want. Like ever since I heard her birth story, I'm like, that's the midwife. So when we decided to have another baby, we got pregnant again, like right away. This pregnancy wasn't quite as perfect, even though I was completely healthy and uh, my daughter was completely healthy. I felt horrible. <laughs> I felt sick for 32 weeks. I had like every pregnancy symptom you could probably think of, but we were completely healthy. I was just I don't know. They say something about girls. Like <laughs> I have heard that too. Like you can tell if you're having a girl because the pregnancy is not the same as if you had a boy. Yeah. Cause I, all this time I was like, my body loves being pregnant. I feel wonderful. And then I get pregnant with my daughter and I'm like, I feel awful. 
every day. I couldn't sleep at night. I had insomnia. And with my son, I slept 10 hours a night. I remember laying awake at four o'clock in the morning and I was like, why am I still up? I'm exhausted. Why won't I sleep? I remember waking up in the middle of the night when I finally did sleep because I was choking on stomach acid. Like the heartburn was intense. Like it was, I had every, every single symptom you could think of, (laughs) but the pregnancy was perfect. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't perfect. I mean, we were healthy, but anyway, so this time around, I, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I called the midwife that I wanted. I emailed her. I sent her a message on Facebook. I was like bombarding her (laughs) because I know they fill up really fast. And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I was desperate to have her. <laughs> can and I so, can I ask one question? Just you said after having your son, you knew you wanted a home birth right away. Did you have exposure to home birth prior to your friend having her baby at home, or how did that kind of come about for you? Or was it just because um, the hospital experience was yeah just so hospital, traumatizing? Yeah, because I was like, I'm not doing this in a hospital again. I'm like, I'm not doing this again. Like I even had like dreams after my son was born that I would show up at the hospital in labor and I'm like nobody's touching me so I think I had a little bit of trauma from that because I was like how did this happen I had the perfect pregnancy and I was induced and there was no medical reason to be induced I had three non-stress tests and everything was perfect so I, I don't I didn't have any experience with home birth until my friend told me about her story I just knew I needed to do something different next time. (laughs) And I have nothing against hospital births. If that's what a woman wants, that's what they should have. But like, I feel like, you know, women should have, and people should have choices. So I don't want to be like anti-hospital birth or anything. Because I feel like, you know, people should have options. But so with the midwife, it was everything about this birth and everything was completely different. Every appointment I had with her, I would walk in. It was like a small, like, I think they had like a house that they turned into their office. I was like the only one there. And it was one-on-one time for an entire hour. I got to talk to her and just her for an hour every time. Whereas with my son, I saw a different doctor each time or a different nurse each time. So I, my midwife, I saw her and it was just her. So you really got to know them at like on a personal level. And with my daughter, I worked all the way up until I was like 41 weeks and two days because my babies just like don't want to come out. (laughs) And so I put in my notice to human resources at my job and I gave them a heads up. I was like, you know, look, I think at the end of the week, I'm not going to be working anymore. And they knew I was huge. They knew I was going to like go at any time. <laughs> and so on that Friday, I put in my note that from the midwife that I was now on maternity leave. So Saturday, I woke up that next morning and I had to go grocery shopping. And I knew it was going to be like for the last time for a long time, because I was already over 41 weeks. And I remember feeling just like lousy. I just didn't want to do anything. I just, I just felt lousy and I'm at the grocery store and I remember feeling kind of crampy and it was weird because even though in my mind, I knew things were probably starting. I remember feeling very calm 
So then I got home, put the groceries away and I'm like, my house looks like a disaster. <laughs> and I'm like, the midwives are going to be here any day now. So I decided to clean. And um, as I'm sweeping, I lost part of the mucus plug, which to me was kind of exciting because that had never happened to me before. And I knew it meant something was starting. So I remember like calling my mom, like all excited. <laughs> but, um, and I let my midwife know just to give her a heads up because, you know, I'm already over 41 weeks and going to be any time. So from the moment I went to bed, which was like 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, I started having contractions both Saturday night and Sunday night. They came like every 10 minutes and they lasted for like 30 seconds. And then after about four hours, it would stop. Then Monday night and Tuesday night, from the time I went to bed, um, like as soon as I laid down, I had contractions again, but these were every like five minutes apart and they lasted for like a minute. And then after four or five hours of that, it stopped. I think I messaged, I can't really remember if I messaged my midwife. I didn't want to use the on call to call her because she lived over an hour away. And I was like, I'm not waking her up at this time of night <laughs> for, I, and it was weird. Like part of me was like, this wasn't the real thing, even though I never really experienced real natural labor. I just didn't feel like, I, I don't know. I was like, this isn't it yet. I don't know. Um, I do know that, I don't know the proper term, but my daughter was, they call like sunny side up when she was inside me. Like she was posterior face, yes. face so, up instead of face down. Yes. But she wasn't born that way. But um, I, actually I should probably backtrack a little bit at 41 weeks. I did have a biophysical exam. So I, I do want to add that, that 41 weeks I did go, and I think it's called the biophysical. They checked all the water. They checked her heart rate. They checked everything. And at 41 weeks, everything looked great. So I, I do want to add that, that I was being um, like cautious. Um, and at 41 weeks, her face was up. So her spine was like against my spine. I don't know <laughs> what the word is. But. Yeah. Yeah. She was posterior. Yes. Okay. But um, she wasn't born that way. So I think when she was born, those contractions were actually trying to, in my mind, I'm, I'm not like a midwife or anything, but I was thinking maybe it was my body's way of getting her in the right position. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Because that's sometimes prodromal labor can be one of the most exhausting things because you think it's the start of labor and then everything just kind of fizzles out, but it's definitely for a reason. So I would agree yeah. with you that it was probably your body trying to move her into a better position to prepare for labor and birth. Yeah. And it was weird because even though I had four nights of that, not at any time that I was like, oh, I need to call my midwife. It was weird. Like I knew I was more annoyed than anything because I was like, I need to sleep, <laughs> but I couldn't. Um, but not, there's not at any time did I think I need to call her. So part of me was like, this isn't the real thing. I don't know. So Wednesday morning came around and I'm exactly 42 weeks and my midwife calls me and she's like, I'm just wanting to check up on you. And she's like, I'm going to be in the area and I want to know if I can stop by. She actually had a woman in labor on that same day kind of near me, kind of like maybe she was like 40 minutes away from me. So I was like, yeah, you can stop by. 
So she stopped by and, you know, kind of like checked everything out, I guess. She asked if she could check my dilation because she never had checked me before. So she checked, actually, she, she didn't want to check my dilation. Sorry. She wanted to strip my membranes. And I said, sure. And I knew that could be painful, but when she did it, it didn't feel painful at all. It was like, kind of like getting a pap smear. Like it was, I didn't feel hardly anything. And she's like, you're pretty well dilated for early labor, but she didn't want to tell me the number. Later on, I found out I was four centimeters. And um, when I found out later on, I was so happy because I was like, I did it all by myself. (laughs) But um, so anyways, after she did that, let's see, she went to go deliver the other baby and another midwife came because with this practice, there are two midwives and a birth assistant that come. So the second midwife came and at that time, contractions started coming, but they were very tolerable. And we were just kind of hanging around the house. And eventually it came to the point where I was like, well, let's fill up the pool. So the pool really helped. And the contractions started getting stronger and longer. It was progressing and everything was going really well. Um, My daughter's heart rate was great. And I kept going like from the bed to the pool, from the bed to the pool. I don't know why. I just like felt like I needed to move. I don't know. It was weird. Eventually I got to the bed. And so this time both midwives were there. My one midwife, she was probably so exhausted because she just delivered a baby. Now she's at my house. So both midwives are there. And I remember the contractions were like nonstop, but it was completely different than my son's contractions with Pitocin. Like these were tolerable. They were like, even though I was very vocal during the contractions, which I could not control at all, it was thinking back that they were much more tolerable. And I remember um, asking my midwife, I was like, is this transition? And she's like, yes. And she wanted to check my dilation. And so she did. And she did give me a heads up that sometimes it breaks your water when it happens. And Oh, what'd she say? A little bit of the cervix was, there's like a lip of cervix or something she wanted to push aside. I'm not quite sure, but something happened and the water broke. And I was nine centimeters at that point. And there was a little bit of meconium in the water, but she didn't seem too concerned because the baby's heart rate was tolerating the contractions well. So eventually I ended up pushing for three and a half hours. She just, her head was there she just didn't want to come out. Like you could see she was crowning and she had a ton of hair. And then at this point, I remembered, I just, I was so exhausted. And I remember they went to check her heart rate and they couldn't find it. So they had me try different positions, you know, get on my left side, raise my leg up and all these different things. And they couldn't find it. And she's like, can I give you an episiotomy? which is something that my midwives hardly ever do. My midwife before this had never given an episiotomy to anybody. And at first I was like, no episiotomy, because I knew what that meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so they kept turning me and checking. And the, you know, my baby's head, she was right there. She had been crowning for like 45 minutes. And I remember my midwife was like, I'm so sorry, but I have to do this. So she caught me. 
um, baby came out real fast and it just felt like a bee sting thinking back. It was almost just like a bee sting. But, uh, so my daughter came out and my husband has a picture of her like laying on the bed and she's just kind of like staring at the ceiling. I guess it took her a minute to come to, she didn't need to be resuscitated or anything, but she cleared her mouth out. She did have meconium on her, but everything was, she was okay. After she started crying, she was okay. And then it was time to deliver the placenta. And I remember laying on my back. Because after she was born, I was on, I was actually on all fours on my knees, like when she was born, but then I flipped over like to my back and my midwife said it was time to deliver the placenta. She asked if I could push. And I was like, I can't like at that point, um, it was probably 21 hours of labor. I was like, I can't, I had nothing left in me. So I actually, she's like, well, can you get up a little bit? So the gravity could help pull it out. And I was like, I can't like, I, I, had nothing left in me. So she pulled me to like a squatting position and the placenta came right out. But I also bled a little bit more than she felt comfortable with. So she gave me a shot of Pitocin and then that was it. Basically the next morning I was up walking around and I don't know, like I remember feeling like on cloud nine for almost a year after she was born because that was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And like in my entire life, like physically and emotionally and mentally. And I felt like, you know, if I had gone to the hospital with my daughter, I believe I would have had a repeat C-section because I went to 42 weeks. I actually went past 42 weeks. Um, I went to 42 weeks in one day. I pushed for three and a half hours. I feel like it would have been a repeat C-section, but with the midwives, like, and at home, you know, even though it was a little traumatic at the end, they knew exactly what to do. And then the midwife came back to me the day after to check up on both of us and weigh the baby. And they came back on day three and then they came back a week later. Then I saw them. I think I saw them at three weeks postpartum. I think I went there and then I saw them at six weeks postpartum. I don't know. It was like the most amazing experience. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, but the healing, uh, the postpartum period was so much different than having the C-section. I didn't have any like postpartum depression. Uh, maybe one day I kind of felt, it's just kind of like strange. One day I did feel a little sad, but that's because my son and daughter, their birthdays are a week apart. And I think five days postpartum, I kind of felt sad because it was the anniversary of my son's failed induction. And I was thinking he deserved the birth that my daughter had. He did not deserve to be born and then alone. I know nurses were there taking care of him, but I remember getting a call. They're like, he won't stop crying. Can you come down and nurse him? And I'm like, I just had major surgery. Like it was I don't know. It was kind of like heartbreaking. So like on day five postpartum, it was like the anniversary of my son's failed induction. So I think that kind of, you know, like being newly postpartum and having that, that like anniversary um, didn't help. But in that, um, the postpartum period, like, even though I had an episiotomy, it was so much different than having a C-section. Like I was actually sweeping the floor 24 hours after my daughter was born. I was just so happy. 
I remember as soon as she came out and as soon as she was okay and they put her on my chest, I just kept saying like, oh my God, I did it. I did it. My baby, my baby. And I'm not very like emotional, <laughs> but um, I acted very emotional after she was born. Was there anything between the birth of your son and your daughter that you did just to help process through everything that you experienced? Or do you feel like just just you mentioning like the five days postpartum with your daughter kind of feeling those emotions of like I wish I could have given him this type of birth that's something that I know I can relate to um on my son's first birthday I I felt really sad like waking up that morning just being like okay a year ago today he was born via c-section and I wish I could have given him this beautiful home birth that I wanted so badly for him and I know that a lot of moms can also relate to that so I guess I guess my question is I'm just curious if there's anything that you have found that's kind of helped you process through all of those emotions that you were feeling uh for me I think joining an ICANN group really helped and I only went to a few meetings but I think joining an ICANN group helped a little bit because then you got to talk to other women who experienced something pretty similar. Um, so that helped actually, you know, like talking to someone who's been through it. And I know like people will say things like, and I hate this saying, they say, well, at least you had a healthy baby. And I hate that saying because like, it's yes, like obviously your baby's health is like the most important thing. But you're all the mother's a patient too. She has emotional needs and like, and it's like people kind of overlook what the mother went through. It's like, yes, obviously the baby is and the, the having a healthy baby is the most important thing. But what about the mother, the one who has to take care of the baby? So I know people would tell me, oh, at least you had a healthy baby, but unless they have experienced it and talk to other women like who experienced it, I don't think they'll really understand. So to me, going to like an ICANN meeting and talking to other women who have experienced the same thing or something very similar has helped. And I just think, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think the whole, oh, healthy baby, healthy mom thing is such a low bar that we think is like the prize of birth. And it's, birth is about so much more than that. And it, I just feel like that saying, completely belittles any type of trauma that a mother experiences in her birth experience regardless of what it is even if it's something like i might find traumatic that another mom may not or vice versa just saying the words well at least you had a healthy baby completely belittles everything that the mom is feeling and i i i mean i completely agree i i think that that's wrong and the mother's mental health and her emotional well-being and her physical capability of being able to take care of her baby are just as important too. Sometimes I wonder like, should I become like a postpartum doula? Because that's like, it's become more of like a passion of mine um, after having my daughter. Well, for any women that are debating whether they want to have a home birth after having had a c-section or if they should maybe have a hospital v-back or a repeat c-section is there anything that you would want them to know or anything that you learned in your births that you just want to share or pass on 
I think it's really good for people to know that they have options. You don't have to have a hospital birth. You don't have to have a home birth. You could go to a birthing center, but there's like, there are so many options um, out there. And I think one of the most important thing is finding a provider who respects your wishes and I, finding people who support you with your decision too. So like, I know there's some women who chose to have a repeat C-section because of almost like a traumatic first C-section that they've had. And I feel like as long as they have the support for that, you know, and that's what they really want and that's what they feel comfortable with, then, you know, maybe, I mean, that's what they can do. But I just feel like people um, should understand that they have choices. And I know like, maybe not all people, like I know depending on like where you live, sometimes the choices might not be quite as available to you. I know where I live, I'm pretty fortunate where I have different options. But I think one of the most important things is finding a provider who supports your decision. Um, as long as you've you know, done your research um, and do what you think is best for you and your baby and for your health and your mental health. That's what I would say, because what, of course, like for me, if I were to have another kid, I would definitely try for another home birth, but some people would be like, Oh, isn't that scary? Isn't that dangerous? Well, I don't know. For me, it's like, you know, if they can respect my decision, like I would, I'm definitely going to support them and respect their decision if they chose to have a hospital birth. So just finding that support, I think is, um, and a provider who, wants the same goals that you do for you yeah because if you can't see if you can't see eye to eye with your provider or the people who are going to be supporting you during your birth or they maybe don't support the choices that you make or whatever it might be your body is going to be in that fight or flight mode and it's not going to be able to really focus on feeling safe and protected during labor if it's worrying about what the people around you are doing. And I think yeah. that that's something that goes, I guess, people don't talk about that as much because we're so used to the hospital system where it's a rotating OB practice. And so you don't even necessarily get your own doctor on when you actually go in to have your baby unless it's in a scheduled induction or a scheduled C-section or something like that. And so we're just so used to having, well, whoever's available is going to come and deliver my baby type of thing. And I just think we completely underestimate how much that impacts our bodies and our minds when we're in labor. Right. Like I remember when I went to the hospital with my son, they were taking out those laminarian sticks and um, the doctor who did it, she's like, I have a medical student here. Is it okay that he watches? And I'm thinking this guy is like 10 years younger than me. I felt really uncomfortable, but I didn't know that I could say no. And I was like, okay. And I'm thinking like I was, it was so awkward. I'm well, like, and he was probably standing right there when the doctor asked too. So yeah. like, how, what are you going to yeah, say? Like, no, was. get and out. I'm like, this is like, he looked like a kid to me almost. <laughs> right. And I like I have all these strangers coming in and out, I'm like half naked. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to dilate in that type of environment where like with my midwife, I really got to know her and she really got to know me. And she also had to be back too. So she knew what it was like to have that C-section 
And ironically, I think the provider that did her C-section was the same provider that I had with my son. So we had that in common too. And so, so she knew how badly I wanted a VBAC at home because she went through that too. She had the same thing happened with her. Yeah, that adds a whole nother layer of like the compassion and understanding and yeah. wanting to help you reach the goals that you've set for your birth. Yeah. And actually, I remember telling her because we did talk about my birth plan and I was like, I told her I wanted to be in the water. And I wanted to pull my own baby up to the surface type of thing and be the one that like catches my own baby. And she, I remember her saying towards either the after uh, my daughter was born or right before, because she knew that was probably not going to be possible because she needed to get her out. She's like, I know you really wanted to deliver your own baby. So she knew that's what I wanted. And I think she kind of apologized that that didn't happen. But so she knew like exactly what I wanted. And like I said, like, you know, them more on like a personal level instead of like your doctor, like I'm friends with her on Facebook. <laughs> um, like it's, I don't know, it's just completely different. And I felt very safe with her. It's definitely a different dynamic and a different relationship. And it doesn't feel like an authority figure. Whereas no. in a hospital, it's set up that way so that your doctor appears to be the authority and the one who gets to make all of the decisions when in reality it should be the mom who gets to make the decisions about her care and her baby's care. Yeah. And that's what I noticed like in the hospital or with my son, they were like, okay, you're, you're doing this and then this and then this with the midwife. She said, okay, here's the situation. These are your options. Like for example, I was like strep B positive and she's like, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Like I had options where with my son, I didn't know that I had options or I didn't know that I could say no. I just kind of did what I was, what I was told to do. And, and they don't, don't know, always just... present it as an option anyway. Usually no. it is, okay, well, you're, you're GBS positive. Okay. You're going to have antibiotics during labor. So of course right. women don't think that they have the option to opt out of that unless they've been told that they have the option to opt out of that. Right. And my midwife will talk about the risks and the benefits. And then she's like, the choice is yours. And it's like that with any medical decision where like the hospital or the doctors might say, you have to do this, 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 or this. With my midwife, it was like, you know, this is your body. This is your birth. And, you know, it's, it's completely different. Is there anything else you can think of that you want to add? I would like people to know that they have options. Um, most people have options. I know like if maybe if you live in an area where there, there isn't a midwife or I, I don't know if all states have home birth legal. Um, I believe home birth is legal. It's just who, who can attend. They've okay. started to put restrictions on. And yeah, yeah, you're right though. That that varies state by state or area by area. Yeah, so I don't want to say, oh, people have all these options because I was very fortunate to have a lot of options. But sometimes if you have limited options, like you are your own best advocate and really find a provider who supports you and your choices and has the same goals for you that you do. So I think that's like the biggest thing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much just for being willing to share your stories and the things that you learned along the way. Oh, thank you for having me. It was, it was great.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.